0: Hello, it's Aminata Fauna here to introduce this week's podcast from Beyond Borders Scotland. In light of recent events in Gaza, this week we've decided to reach back to the 2011 festival and an interview Mark Muller Stewart conducted with Dr. Isadine Abalesh. In it, the doctor talks about the death of his three daughters and other family members in the 2009 bombing of Gaza and why he decided to write a book called, I Shall Not Hate. In this riveting and highly emotional interview, Isidine charts his family's life under occupation. He also explains why fostering peace and understanding between Palestinians and Israelis remains the only viable option by which both peoples can secure a just and safe future.
1: My name is Mark muller Stewart, and I just want to welcome you all here to Turquere for this second Beyond Borders Festival and thank you all for coming here. I think a few of you know a little bit about what it's about, but it is about bringing together different stories, testimonies, uh, advocacy from around the world about very important issues. Um, And it is to foster small nation dialogue and international cultural exchange. And I don't think we've got a better example of, of that than... Dr. Isolde uh before us. He is a remarkable man, uh, and I want to th- welcome him to Traquare. On the 16th of January 2009, an Israeli anchorman on Channel 10 took a call on air from Dr. Isildin Nabeleish. Minutes after, three of his daughters were killed by Israeli shells. That call was broadcast around the world, and it brought to the attention of the public the most terrifying reality of Gaza. It was after that that he decided to write his book, I Shall Not Hate. Four simple words on a book cover, but very profound and compelling words, and ones that are perhaps the most important in the most recent years in the Israeli Palestinian conflict. Four words uttered by a man who had not just simply lost three daughters and a niece, but in a sense lost his childhood, his historical community, indeed his siblings, and in one sense his beloved wife. Four words that in fact were then broadcast around the world through Isildine's journeys and resonated profoundly with a number of people from different cultures in different places, and perhaps mark a turning point for all those Palestinians and Israelis who are just tired of hating. So it is my greatest pleasure uh, to ask you to give Dr Isildine, who's traveled all the way from Toronto, to tell you personally why he shall not hate, to give him a very warm welcome. to to Thank you. Isoldean, um, uh, you lost, to lose one child is everyone's parents' nightmare, to lose three is unimaginable. And to do so in the type of conflict that you have lived through uh, is simply beyond comprehension for many of us living here in the serenity of uh, the borders. Can I just ask you first and foremost, why did you decide to write this book and and how did you manage to write this book so close to these
2: terrifying events? I started thinking of writing my book a few years ago as a Palestinian child who was born, raised, but where? In refugee camps. As a child that I never tasted my childhood. As if I was born for suffering. But during my childhood, I dreamed, and that's what I want each of you to encourage his children, his friends, to dream, because I can oppress someone, I can occupy, I can deprive, but no one can prevent any one of us from dreaming. And later on, I realized that dreams are close to reality. With hard work, I dreamed to be a medical doctor. Where medicine for me, when I practiced medicine everywhere, and in 91, I decided to be the first Palestinian doctor to practice medicine in an Israeli hospital. Where medicine has one culture, has one face, has one value has the human face and the value of saving lives. I did it because I believed in it, where medicine can can be a bridge between a human being. For about 15 years, I practiced it. I said, that's experience. How can I inspire and tell the people that we have a new way and a new approach, which is the human approach? But as a believer, as a Muslim, I fully believe everything has its time. And the time to write this book came after the awful, terrible tragedy. And number 16 for me will never be taken or erased from my mind. 16th of September 2008 is the day when I lost my wife of acute disease, and I thought it is the end of the world. Because as a child, if I was to choose whom to lose, I will say I want to be with my mother. The mother is the one who raises, who builds, who sacrifices who is born to give. And my religion taught me the orphan is not the one who loses the father. The orphan is the one who loses the mother. He loses everything in life. The passion, the support, the care, the love that we all lost. And my daughter, Bisan, God bless her soul who was 20 After she lost her mother, she said, as a student at the university, and many students, they think the most difficult exams in life are academic exams. She said, now I realized one thing. The most difficult thing in life are life exams. And the easiest are academic exams. It's the loss of the beloved ones. And when we lose someone who is close to us and in our nature, the the children to lose the parents before, the parents to see their children lost in their life, this is odd. Then 16th of January 2009, Quarter to 5 p.m. just four months later is the day when an Israeli tank shell to hit my daughter's room, killing three daughters, one niece, and severely wounding others for nothing they did. And there was no reason to be killed. They were girls armed with love with hopes, with the dreams, with the humanity. They were soldiers for humanity. I was proud of my girls and my daughters. If I have hundreds of them, I will pray and will say I am blessed from God. So I wrote this book as people were expecting me to hate and to react in a negative way. It's not a book about my daughters or the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. It's everyone's message. It's a human message for everyone who cares about others to feel connected and that in every bad thing in life we see there is something good. From the first moment my house was shelled, I said this is for good because during the three weeks of the craziness, the human being, when Palestinians and Gazans became numbers, it's shame to talk about a human being as numbers. Human beings are a human being, and we must respect that. They are not statistics or figures Saving one, you save the world. Killing one, you kill the world. And that's the new approach we want to adopt to defend and to speak loudly about others. No difference between one here and there. It's life, the most precious thing in the the universe. I was supposed to be interviewed live at that time to speak about the situation in Gaza and women's health. And seconds after I left my daughter's room, less than five seconds, the first shell came. I asked myself why I was saved. If I stayed with them, I would be gone and be added to the list of the Palestinians. God knows, and we don't know. I said, this tragedy is for good and will be invested for good. And I am determined that this tragedy will be for good, as I swore. I swore to God and to my daughters, whom I see every second, telling me, don't leave us. Do something for us and others. I swore to God and to them as I believe. I will need them one day. But with what? With the big gift. The justice. They paid and sacrificed their souls and the blood with wisdom. Kind words and good deeds. And that's the message of the book for each of us to adopt it, to carry it, and to tell it to others. This is the right approach. Hate is not the right. My daughter Shada, and that's the second. We want to learn from our children. We have to listen to them. My daughter Shada, who was severely wounded during the war, she was in the high school. And she was studying day and night, during the war, on candles to be one of the first in Palestine in the high school. There were girls that they never succeeded less than 97% in their schools. Their teachers used to fight to have them in their classes. She spent four months in the hospital. She lost her mother just at the start of the year, and now she lost her three sisters, niece, and she is severely wounded. What do I expect from her? After she lost the sight in one eye and two fingers in her right hand, she said, I have to go to study. Even in the hospital, she started to practice writing by the left hand. She did the exam, and the day we moved to Canada, they announced the result as nothing happened. She succeeded 96%, and now she is studying computer engineering at the University of Toronto. That's the success. The antidote of hate and revenge is to carry the pain, the wound, the scar, to energize you and sensitize others to succeed and not accept what happened. And that's what I am for. I'm devoting my life for the sake of my children, those who were killed and those who are living, and other children, to send on daily basis a blesses to my daughters. Well,
1: thank you very much, Chiseldine. I think you've answered my question. Um, perhaps I can just ask you a few questions about your own childhood. You were, you were born in 1955 as a refugee in the Jabalaya camp, which houses over 1.5 Gazan refugees. And I suppose, although we call it a beginning, actually... When you are a refugee, you're born immediately with a past and an immediate sense of loss. Can you just give us some flavour of what it was like back then in Gaza uh, and your own childhood uh, and how you found your own path forward? As I said, my childhood
2: was born in 1955. I was the eldest of my siblings. My father... One day, he has his homeland. He has to live in his homeland, Palestine. And in a time to lose the land and to be a refugee, living on AIDS, it's unjust. And I learned from that my suffering as a child who was deprived of that. This is man-made. Once it's man-made, we as a human being, we can challenge them. They don't have more hands than us. They are not smarter than us. But what made succeed, what made them succeed, is our silence. We are observing them without doing anything," he said. I don't want to live this misery. That sometimes you hate your life. No one was born violent when we speak about terrorism or violence. No one is born violent or terrorist. Violence and terrorism is a symptom of a disease. And if we want to treat, we want to treat the disease, not the symptoms and to ask ourselves, what made our children or those who we think they are violent or terrorist, I succeeded. And as I mentioned, I dreamed just to go to university to rescue my family from this misery and deprivation. I worked hard, education for us as Palestinians, Just to live and to get a better job. And when I applied, and thanks to Egypt, when I applied, they accepted me, my grades allowed me to study medicine in Cairo University. I studied and thought, now I am going to move into the paradise. I am a doctor. My mother, who sacrificed a lot to raise us, and my father, she was proud to be the mother of the doctor. But our parents, when it comes to reap, what did they plant? They are gone. My father lived nine months. And when came back from Gaza, from Egypt to Gaza, as a medical doctor, I thought, now I can find the paradise. But to get a job, it's not your success. So who is your father. How much do you have? Or to be a perpetrator with the Israelis. Thanks, God, I don't have any of that. But I had my success at the school. I was the first among the foreign students. But I said, something good is waiting. If I can't find a job in Gaza, something is waiting for me. I got a contract to work in Saudi Arabia with a better salary and to help my siblings to study. And from there, I got a scholarship to specialize in obstetrics and gynecology at the University of London. And in 91, I decided, nothing like home. I have to be close to my mother. In 91, I started to be the first Palestinian to practice medicine in an Israeli hospital, where Israelis, they used to see the Palestinians as workers. It's time to see them as a human, to see them as skilled as they are, and they can give. I believed in it, I succeeded to be a formal Palestinian doctor, practicing medicine in an Israeli hospital. The happiest moment in my life. When I handled a baby to his mother, as obstetrician and gynecologist, or a couple coming, struggling to have a baby, and the wife to come to say, pregnancy test is positive. And that's what I learned. Nothing is impossible in life. And that's what do I want you to understand and to practice. The only impossible thing in life I believe in is to return my daughter's back. Anything in life I planned, I succeeded to achieve. It took time because I am alone scratching with my nails and rock. But that's the joy when you achieve your success. I got the Israeli board in obstetrics and gynecology. Then I did my subspecialty in fetal medicine and genetics from UK, Italy, and Belgium. And I said, it's time. I want to learn management. How can a Palestinian refugee from Gaza to go to Harvard? Why not? I am smart as they are. I have the potential as they are. And that's what can I say to you. Don't reject yourself. Be confident. Don't underestimate yourself. You can achieve it. Say to you, believe in it. When I believed in it, I went there. It was as simple as it is. Two minutes to meet with the dean. And he said, Zildine, We can learn from you, and you can learn from us. I did it. I was proud of it when they wrote from Jabalia Camp to Harvard. And that's what energizes me. And I feel this message. We are in need to spread it and to feel as one, to feel connected and to give, and to share. In the time we lost that connection, in the time we lost the happiness and the love that we were created for, it's time, I think, even I believe, to start the change. And the change starts from within each of us, from inside, not from outside, don't blame. You take the initiative and start the change. God will never change what is in people till they change what is in their minds, hearts, and souls. This is the key for the change. If we want this world to be a human and a beautiful world, and I can say to you, let us start it. And when we leave here with that message, we can change it as if it was, because it was deteriorated by others, and you can make it and correct this world. Iseldeen,
1: I I, I just want to ask you uh, about your own uh, emotions, because when I read your book and I hear that, for example, in the case of Ariel Sharon, he was the man who now holds the title deeds to your father's property, in Israel. He was the man in the 1967 war who uh, terrorised Gaza in that invasion and then bulldozed your own family house, the small little family house in which you and many of your other brothers and sisters lived. When you were that young, how did you feel towards Ariel Sharon and even now? Is he a hate figure? Does he sum up anger
2: for you or do you forgive? When I remember that, and those emotions, and to feel the anger and the outrage of not accepting it, it's not, and what can I do to challenge him? I remember when my house, which is not a house, it's two camp rooms, it's a shelter, to protect us from winter and the sun of the summer. And when they came after midnight to say, you have to evacuate the house, there is nothing in the house in 1970s without electricity, even without running water in the camp, without any of the needs, just a few mattresses to sleep together on those mattresses. But for us, it was a balance. We were protected, we have a house. And that's if I want to hate. To hate to see anyone homeless. This is the most painful when we see someone homeless I don't want anyone to feel it or to experience it immediate one week later at that time I was 15 years old I have to leave and to go to start working inside Israel to save some money to help my family And before destroying the house, one week before, I spent 40 days in one of the Israeli villages in time a child should enjoy his summer. The Palestinian child in summer is planning what kind of job the dirty work to go to find, to save money and to help his family. I worked for 40 days and I remember that time I earned 400 liras and I continued. And with that amount of money, we bought a house in the camp that I lived in from 1970 till 2002. That's not to be drowning of thinking, what can I do to get revenge or to hate? He wants to destroy me, the one who killed my daughters. He wants me to be destroyed and collapse. He used a weapon, the gun, the bullet. I'm not going to be destroyed twice. To be a victim of him when he killed my daughters or to destroy my house and then to be a victim of this hate and revenge. I have to carry it. I say to you to energize me every day. Now I see my daughters to say to me, do more, act more for other girls to save the children. But what did you say till now? It's continuous. See what is happening in Gaza the other day. We didn't learn the lesson. Still, the crisis and the tragedies and the killing is continuous. And that's what do we want to stop it? At that moment, I can relax, and all of us we can feel relaxed. This world can endure with what. It's not with military guns, it's with justice and the truth. What is happening in Afghanistan and in other worlds is lack of justice and the truth. And the people and the politicians are not honest with themselves and with, their, with others. It's time for politicians to humanize, not to politicize. That's what do we need, to be honest and to search for the justice, where justice is to like. For others, what do I like for myself? To put myself in the shoe of the others. That's justice, and that's what do we want to look for.
1: Dr. Marek lazerman who, who worked with you in Soroka, talks about how um, you never generalise your complaints. He, he, he almost... Um, and he says, he, and you never condemn the injustices that suffered in general, but only in specific focused ways. But isn't there on some level a criticism to be made structurally of Israel, of what's happened in Gaza, of the ter- total encirclement of Gaza that goes beyond simply uh, people internalizing and reflecting upon their own experiences? Is there a criticism, a structural criticism to be made of what is happening in Israel and Palestine. Because when I read your account, and particularly of the crossings you have to make from Gaza into Israel, and I have been there and many other people may have been there and have experienced Hebron, I feel a well of anger as I see the ritual humiliation of Palestinians at crossroads time and time again. And if I ask myself, is this simply a question of um, individuals brutalizing Palestinians, or is this a system of humiliation, I come to the conclusion that there is much more structure and organization to the uh, Palestinian uh, discrimination on the part of the Israeli state. I mean, how do you react to that type of analysis?
2: Generalization is not just... It's not just to generalize. If I came to Edinburgh and to say all of the Scottish people, we must point by the finger and to mention by the name, the person or someone to give the title to that. When someone British, I don't say the British or the Christian or the Muslim. I should say someone who did bad things, not to link it to say a Muslim Arab, Palestinian, say Zeldin did bad thing or someone else who did it. We don't want to hang our failure on others. As a medical doctor, when we want, we point to the patient. By the patient, we don't speak about all of the patients in the world. And that's what do we want, a specific diagnosis of each patient. This is the right. What did you say about Israel? It's not the Israeli public and the people there. As everywhere. And in Arabic, saying, your fingers, they don't have the same length. There is difference between each of us and among each of us. There is the good and the bad. And what can I say? It's the political leadership in Israel. The current Israeli leadership is the disaster not for the Israelis It's for the Israelis for the Palestinians for the international community they want to trap the Palestinians into violence to save them from the current scandal and chaos they are living in and it's only through the Palestinian blood when you speak about the checkpoints I learned them. I knew what are they doing to do. But believe me, in spite of all of the intimidation, I don't want to lose control because at the end I am focused. There is a patient, a woman who is waiting for me in the hospital. If I want to argue and to lose my timber, there will be a price of an innocent woman who is waiting there. And for everything in life, we should sacrifice. And even during that time when I was waiting, I had, I take a book just to read, or to take my computer. I don't want to show him. Don't show your weakness. Be strong to read or to use my computer. And when they call me, Ezeldeen, I try to show that I don't care. So they said, we called you. I said, I'm not in a hurry. I have my book I am reading, but I am in a hurry. And that's what do we want to be focused. What do you want to achieve by the end?
1: You've said that medicine can bridge the divide between people. And uh, you place a lot of faith in, in your experiences as a, as a medic. How do, how do Israeli doctors and other doctors respond to your message? Uh, Are they doing work in Gaza? Do they want to do work in Gaza? Is there a reciprocal
2: relationship there? I am sure there are many who are willing to help. But the current Israeli government, they don't allow any Israeli, even non Israeli, to come to visit Gaza. But I did it, as I said, because I believed in it. The first time when I went and they introduced me, a Palestinian doctor from Gaza from Jabalia refugee camp in 91, during the first Intifada. They were scared, Palestinians from Gaza, from Jabalia refugee camp, where Jabalia refugee camp is the birthplace of the first Intifada. But believe me, I said, this is the challenge. And that they don't know me. And that's the other thing that we want to know that we don't know each other. Once we communicate and to start to know each other, we discover the human face of the other. I became one of the family. I did it from all of my heart. I miss them, and I am keeping in touch with them. Because when we treat the patients within the hospital, we treat them equally, Palestinian, Muslim, Jewish, Christian, Druze, Bedouins, without relation to the name, to the ethnicity, the religion. And that's what do we want even for us. Can we practice that outside the borders of the hospital to deal with others with respect, with the humanity, with the privacy and care and saving lives? Well, I, I think I've got to open it up to, to
1: questions now. Thank you very much, uh, Isoldein. So anyone with you, madam? Down, down the front.
0: Um, I just wondered, how was it that um, the, the Jewish people, the Israelis, were able to come in and, and just take over houses? It just seems extraordinary extraordinary to me. I mean, it's very emotional.
2: Which year? (laughs) In 1967. we we have many times to feel the refuge and the immigration and the loss of the houses. Yes. So which year are you talking about? Well, it started
0: in 67. I mean, I'm thinking about from 67 onwards. 67.
2: At that time, I was 12 years old. And you were in a camp. I I was in the camp. It's the same house. And where do we go? to escape, to hide under the trees. Trees are they going to protect a human being. And when you come to your house to find it, it's nothing. In 97, when my house was demolished, they come by night. It's the power. It's the military power that we want to change it that it will never work.
0: How can it be
2: changed? It changed? Yeah. You speak about it because it proved its failure with what is happening in this world today. They were talking about Afghanistan, about the military power there, and that there are the NATO, 40 countries, troops, and at the end they realized that it's not going to work. So can we learn from the history? And that's what happened. Even in 2009, with the lies, when they said we asked him to leave his home, I said, why to leave my home? There is no reason to leave my home. (laughs) And how many times in life do we want to be refugees and to immigrate and to leave our homes? And that's what do we want to stop it. I think we can change it. You can change it to speak loudly, it's time for us to speak loudly. When Martin Luther King said, with what is happening in the world, we will not, we will forget the words of our enemy, but we can't forget the silence of our friends, our human being, our human fellows. That's what we want to realize and to practice, that I am not free as long as you are not. The freedom of all is needed. I can't enjoy to see others oppressed, sick, deprived, and I'm enjoying that. Do something to change it. Start with talking, with acting, with visiting. You said you went there to visit. When you visit there, to see it by your eyes, the media can't deceive you. You will say they are lying. I saw it by my eyes.
3: When I first uh, went to Gaza on behalf of medical aid for the Palestinians, I was uh, shaken by the conditions there. When I went back after the bombing, I could understand why there is so much hatred among the Palestinians in Gaza towards not just the government of Israel, but frankly towards Israel. It's understandable. Uh, What I wondered, uh, because most people are not as... Uh, intelligent and, and thoughtful as, as you. And so they, they engage in, in fruitless acts of terrorism against Israel. What I want, uh, wanted to ask you is, leaving aside hatred, do you not feel a sense of disappointment, irritation, call it what you like, about the government of America, the governments of the European Union, who maintain normal relations with Israel, trading agreements and all the rest of it, condemn things verbally, but don't, don't actually put any pressure on them at all, to mend their ways,
2: and that's what we come back to the issue of justice and the United Nations, and this world, which is endemic of injustice, and biased. It's completely biased. After what happened a few days ago with the violent acts, that I condemn any military or violent act, but President Obama to express his condolences to the Israeli families. What about the Palestinian families? They are human, as they as the Israelis. They deny them, and this—what do we want to ask ourselves? Not to blame the Palestinians when they say when they see this prejudice, injustice, practices against them, they lose control. But we want to ask: who made them lose control? It's the international community, the United Nations. Which we think it's in neutral, and they it sit up to save and to help. It's biased and completely politicised, and that's what do we want. When you speak about terrorism, no one Palestinian is willing to be a terrorist. He is fighting to save and to live. Palestinians are living there, as you said, they have no life. Their life is deprived of everything. Palestinians are fighting to live. But others in this world, they are living to fight. And that's what do we want to stand for, to stop those who are living to fight. Many in this world are living to fight. But other people in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in other countries, they are fighting to live. Help them to live. And others fight in order to live.
0: Thank you very much for your words and for the book you have written. Um, do you, can you give us some suggestions about how doctors and medical associations in this country, uh, things they might do to help?
2: I think in UK, the medical associations and the healthcare professionals in general, they are doing their part. They are speaking loudly. They are going there, even at the individual level. They are going there to help in Palestine, in Gaza, in the West Bank, and in other places. Even I can say to you, if they can't do in Gaza or the West Bank, the world and the needs are massive in this world. They can go to other places. Do where can you do and to help. If they can't, if the borders can't allow them to go to Gaza... What prevents them from going to other countries in Africa and Asia and other places? They are doing, and each of us to do his part. Medical doctors with their message, who are messengers of peace and humanity. And they can make it. Well,
1: Iseline, can I just ask one last question? Yes. Uh, and that is about your foundation. If you could just say a few words about what you are trying to do and um, your Daughters for Life
2: Foundation. Daughters for Life Foundation, it's a Canadian registered charity because, as I said, my daughters were able to plan and to achieve their plans as students at their father has the resources to fulfill their plans. And it's not the biology. It's the humanity. I want to see the plans of my daughters achieved and fulfilled by other girls. And I fully believe in the potential of girls and women. As my mother pushed me to succeed, I think this world, it's time to give the women the right role. It's not rights or status. The right role. Believe me, if they didn't succeed, they will never make it worse, as it is now. Just give them the opportunity to do it. And this comes through education. In Afghanistan, I worked in Afghanistan. I said it. The strongest weapon there is to educate girls and women. It will be the most efficient and effective mean of changing the situation in Afghanistan. It's not military. Empower the women there. So a healthy, educated girl and woman will raise healthy, educated children, husband, family, community. The woman is the school. If we equip that school with the means to be educated, the generations will be a healthy, educated one. And that's why this foundation for girls and women for education and health in the Middle East. This year, we gave 35 awards to newly graduate girls from six countries. It's not girls who succeeded from welfare, succeeded from hardship to encourage them in Egypt, in Palestine, in Jordan, in Syria, Lebanon, and Israel. And will continue that effort and those efforts to encourage others to do. And that's the good, I can say, from that tragedy. The good from that tragedy? To see the daughters, plans spreading everywhere and making a difference in the human face. Dr.
1: Izzeldine Abelay.
2: Thank you.